and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. Hmm. Amen. It. And uh, verse 39 to verse 59 is what we're looking at this morning. And Eduardo has already read that for us. And uh, in case you didn't pick up from the picture there, we're looking at like father like son. And uh, what does that mean? What does it mean to be like father like son? And of course, I mean, you know, that might not be real, you know. <laughs> I think Samuel made one of me like that a little bit too with my little, my little, gin- or my little beard. And, uh, but the idea is that we are like our fathers, and uh, Joshua, bad news, you look a little bit like your dad, you know. Samuel, even worse news, you look a little bit like your dad. And uh, sometimes, believe it or not, Victoria looks a little bit like Alex. And uh, that's the weirdest ones for me. There's, a, there's certain things Victoria does uh, that, that looks a lot like him when she's laughing or when she's, especially when she's concentrating on something. When Victoria concentrates, her little tongue keeps coming in and out, like just concentration tongue. And it's the same thing that Alex does as well. And uh, when I shave my head and I went home, my mom says, you look just like your dad. And you're like, oh, okay, thank you very much. And that's the idea here that, that we're going to be looking at as we get to verse 39 down the way is we, we're like our father. And it's like father, like son. And, and today's message is, uh, who's the father? Who's the father uh, of, these, of these Jewish leaders? And so last week at the end of our passage, the Jewish leaders were claiming to be the descendants of Abraham. If you remember just a little bit up from where we're starting this morning, Jesus said, if you come to me and believe in me and live in my truth, you'll be truly free. And they said in verse 33, hey, we're Abraham's descendants. We've never been enslaved to anyone. And so this sparks this conversation that Jesus is going to have with them about who their father is, who is the father Jesus agrees that they're Abraham's offspring. He says that in verse 37. I know that you're his descendants. I know that you're his offspring. I know that you're connected by blood to Abraham. But you're, you're trying to kill me because my word has no place in you. And then he says this in verse 38. I speak what I've seen from my father, God, and you do what you've seen with your father, And left us with this question, who does Jesus say or think or claim that the father of these people are? That's really what we're going to be looking at this morning. Who is the father of these Jewish leaders? And then the second half of John 8, which we're looking at this morning, is going to be showing us and emphasizing this really important thing to us. Being a Jew doesn't save you. Being Jewish doesn't save. In John 3, Jesus with Nicodemus is very adamant. You're not going to come into the kingdom of God, Nicodemus, unless you are born again through belief in me. So John 3 saying, you could be a Jew, you could be a leader among the Jews, it's not enough. And John 4, the next chapter, is showing us that being a non-Jew doesn't stop you from coming. So being a Jew doesn't save you, and being a non-Jew doesn't stop you from coming, because Jesus has mercy even for the Samaritans. So this is where we're starting this morning, and we're, we're going to be unpacking this passage of Scripture then, and, and looking at this. And the first thing we look at is like father, like son, in verse 39 to verse 47. Jesus has just told them in verse 38, you do what you've seen with your father. And they respond now in verse 39, and they say to him, hey, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, 
A man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God, and Abraham, he didn't do something like that. And this might leave us here in 21st century England thinking, what has this got to do with us? You know, like we're not Jews. We're not claiming that our Jewishness saves us. So like, what's the application for us this morning? Like, what are we left with today? Well, I'll tell you, since I've lived in England, I've been here for 12 long years. I'm just joking. It was three long years and then nine good ones so far. Uh, but I've heard people tell me that the reason they're going to heaven is because they're English. I've heard people say that to me. Do you, do you believe you're going to go to heaven when you die? Yes. Why? Well, I'm English. Right. So uh, good for you. Uh, so I'm not because I'm Irish. Like what's going on here? People believe that, that they're English or they're British. So they're going to get in. I've met people I've spoken to who have asked them, are you going to heaven when you die? And they've patted their little pocket. And I'm like, What's your little pocket got to do with anything? And they pull out two cards. One of them's a membership card of the Methodist Church, and one of them's a membership card of the Church of England. And they're like, I'm a member of both. And I'm like, that's not it, man. That's not what you need. Uh, this is not the way. And I've met people who live in England who have asked, are you going to heaven when you die? And they say yes. And I say, what? based on what? Well, I was christened when I was a baby. I went through a little service when I was a little boy. And so, yes, even here in England, there is this traditional cultural expectation that we are good Christians simply because we live here. We are good Christians simply because we attend. We're good Christians simply because some fella sprinkled a little bit of water on us when we're babies. And so we might not be Jews claiming our Jewishness to get in, but certainly there's, there's part of us that's claiming something else other than Jesus to get in. And Jesus wants to lay out here, that's not it. That's not what gets you in. That's not what brings you to God. That's not what we need uh, at all. So here we have them saying that, that Abraham is our father in verse 39 to verse 41. And in this time, Jesus is, is, is not accepting it. Okay, earlier on, they said we are Abraham's descendants in verse 33. Jesus says in verse 37, I know. I know that you're Abraham's descendants. I accept that. But here in verse 39, they say, Abraham's our father. And Jesus says to them, no, no. You see, if that was true, you would be like him. Like father, like son. You would behave like him. We were in Ireland this week and uh, spending some time with our good friends, Josh and Annie. And uh, they're three children. And we're watching these three children. We haven't seen them in three years. And so we're watching them develop their little personalities. And one of them was like one the last time we seen him. Now he's three. And he spent an hour showing me ten rocks. Like, look at this rock, Alan. I'm like, that's an amazing rock. And then he forgot that he'd showed me that one. So he showed me it again. And like an hour of, of looking at ten rocks of his, his incredible experience. Uh, but you know, it's, it's him. It's his own little personality. But he's also like his dad. He's so much like him as well. And, and Kian, our, our little Kian, was, is now eight years old. And he has the serious face that he does sometimes when he's thinking. I'm like, man, you're just like your dad. That little serious face you pull off sometimes. And this is what Jesus is saying to them. If you were Abraham's children, if Abraham was your father, boy, you'd just be like him. You would do the same stuff as him. You would be like Abraham if that was the case. It says here, if you were his children, you would do the works of Abraham. But instead of that, you're trying to kill me. A man who told you the truth, which I've heard from God. Abraham, he didn't do stuff like that. 
Abraham didn't uh, rebel against God's words. Abraham didn't rebel against God's prophets. Abraham, in fact, when he saw Melchizedek, he he bowed, he gave him the tithes and the offerings, and he celebrated what what Melchizedek had to say and accepted the the prophecies and the blessings Melchizedek gave. But you guys, here I am, and I'm trying to teach you God's word, and you won't receive it. You're nothing like Abraham. Because Abraham wasn't like that. And so once again, Jesus says in verse 41, you do the deeds of your father. He says this already in verse 38, you do what you've seen with your father. Verse 41, you do the deeds of your father. And so it's still making us ask the question, who is he saying the father is? Like, who is he talking about here? And so they hear what he has to say. He's saying, you're not Abraham's children. You you have a different father. And they respond, well, yes, we do. God is our father. We are the children of Israel. And in the Old Testament, God called Israel his son. So God is our father. He says in verse 41, we were not born of fornication. We have one father, and that is God. And this could be them saying, we are the legitimate people of God because we're Jews. We're of the nation of Israel, of the the line of Jacob, under the law of Moses. We are the true people of God. We are the true children of God. And other people believe what's happening here when they say we were not born of fornication is that they were attacking Jesus a little bit because of his mystery birth. Oh yeah, you and your miracle birth here that's going on. And, uh, and they're attacking Jesus and attacking Mary um, for this. But Jesus responds once again. And he says, no, he's not your father. And this is really challenging stuff for them to hear. They're the son, they're, the, they're part of Israel. The son of God, it says in the Old Testament. And Jesus turns back to them and says this in verse 42. If God was your father, you would have loved me. Because I'm from him. I came from God. I've not come of myself, but he sent me. I'm from him. And the reason you can't understand anything I'm saying, which we've been seeing a lot of in John, like everything Jesus says, they're like, uh, what's he talking about? Right? You must be born again. Born of what? You have to uh, drink from me. Drink from You have to eat me. Eat him? And they're just constantly confused, constantly not getting it. And Jesus says to them, the reason you're not getting it is because you're not able to listen to my word because you're not from the Father. You're not the children of Abraham. You're not the children of God. And this is where it gets uh, quite heavy. When Jesus tells them in verse 44, you are off your father, the devil. You're of Satan. And, you know, that, he wasn't throwing out compliments there. This is not something like, oh, thanks very much. Feel better already? This is not passive. This is intentionally offensive and it's intentionally provocative for Jesus to speak this way. And Jesus is speaking about these Jewish leaders, these ones who were beginning to follow him and now are stepping away from him again with these questions and these accusations towards him. And Jesus is saying to them, you know who your father is? It's not God. It's not Abraham. It's the devil. And how do I know that? Because it says here, the desires of your father you want to do. You want to be just like him. See, he was a murderer from the beginning, and you're trying to kill me. You're just like him. He doesn't love the truth, and you don't love the truth. 
You're just like him. He is a liar and he's the father of it. And you're lying and you're trying to kill me. You're just like your father. And because I tell the truth, he says in verse 45, you do not believe me. If you were God's, Jesus says, you would believe me. If you belong to him. In verse 47, he who is of God hears God's words. You do not hear because you're not of God. And this is challenging these people. Like this wrecks them. This is offensive. Now Jesus isn't offending people so because he, he just loves offending people. He's not that type of person. Remember, he's compassionate. He's merciful. Uh, a bruised wick, he will not, uh, he will not smother. He, he, he's a gracious, gentle God. But when he sees people lie, when he sees people deceive, when he sees people rejecting the truth out of hard hearts, he intentionally provokes them to get at their hearts. He wants them to start looking inward and seeing how sinful they are, how broken they are, so that they'll respond by coming to him. Or so they'll harden their hearts even more and expose who they truly are. Essentially what Jesus is saying here in these verses, once again, is that their Jewishness and their direct lying to Abraham does not make them spiritually right with God. It doesn't make them God's children. It doesn't make them people of the truth. Their Jewishness and their lying to Abraham does not make them right with God. And if you're here this morning and you're thinking, my church attendance is doing it. My christening when I was a little baby is doing it. My Englishness is doing it. Believe me, none of that makes you spiritually right with God. And he claims here, if they were spiritually right with God, they would evidence that by hearing what Jesus has to say. Believing what Jesus has to say instead of trying to kill him. But he says, you hate me, you lie about me, and you secretly plot my death. And you're not his people then. So then he gets down to verse 48 to verse 59. And they begin to ask this question about Jesus being greater than Abraham. And what's amazing in this little section. And I, I do want to make some applications today about all this. These listeners were originally receptive to Jesus' teaching. Okay, If you go up there to verse 30. And, and see in verse 30. As he spoke these words. Many believed in him. Okay. So they're believing in him at first. There's, there's, there's this, in, this little momentary faith that they have. But now I look at verse 48. You're a Samaritan and you have a demon. That's a, I don't know if you noticed, that's a significant change right, in these people's attitudes toward Jesus. So they're originally receptive to Jesus' teaching. It says that this conversation was with those who believe him, but it's beginning to turn sour now. And what we're seeing here, and I want this to be something that we take away from this morning. What we're seeing here is that we cannot have Jesus on our own terms. Okay? We cannot have Jesus on our own terms. We must come to him on his terms. And Jesus, they they start believing in him. And then he says, oh, and by the way, I'll set you free. And they're like, we're not slaves. And Jesus is like, you know what? You're not my people. And then they begin to call him a Samaritan and a demon, right? No, you're definitely not. If you were my people, you would, you would believe. You would receive. You would receive everything I have to say. You would believe all my words. You would abide in what I have to say. And just to say this again, Jesus has not come to squeeze into your life. Like some little God. Some little statue that you put up on your furniture somewhere. 
He hasn't come to squeeze into your life. We know someone who is a, a Buddhist, but they're not actually a Buddhist. They've, they've, taken, they've taken some of the stuff of Buddhism, the stuff that they enjoy, the, the, the positions and the, the, the mindfulness and the, whatever works for them, but the rest of it they've rejected. It's like, you, you're not a Buddhist then. You can't, you can't just squeeze it in. And even more so with the truth of Jesus, God in the flesh. He will not be squeezed into your life. He will not be squeezed into your categories wherever you will let him and give him the permission. Jesus, we grant you permission to enter into this part of our lives as if he needs it. No, Jesus has come as God. Okay, God in the flesh. He's come as creator of all things. He has come as Lord. He has come as king. And one day he's coming again. And he comes to smash. That's what he came to do. And he comes to smash our broken lives so that he can put them back together again. You see, when we break something, I broke, uh, I got these Lord of the Rings statues that are like bookends, okay? So on both sides, my books are held by these Lord of the Rings statues. And I dropped both of them, okay? So over a period of time, the books were too heavy. And their hands fell off, okay? So both, they're just handless things just doing their little statue thing. And I tried to put the, put the glue back on, put the, glue them back together again. And uh, instead of doing the thing like this, which they're meant to be doing, they're like, like that. Or they're like, they're like totally like, it's like this or something. And it's wrong. And that's my attempt to fix it. My attempt to fix it. And what someone else would come along and do in order to actually fix it would be what? It would be to break it again and put it back together the proper way. And listen, that's what Jesus has come to do. He's come to smash so that he can truly restore. And he's come to smash your categories and the way you see the world and your perspective of who God is and your perspective of suffering and your perspective of pleasure and your perspective of money and your perspective of everything. He's come to smash it all so we can put it back together again the way it's supposed to be. He will not be squeezed into the corners that you offer him. He is Lord of all. He is not interested in a fickle faith that is upset every time his commands or his claims offend you. He's not interested in that. He doesn't need you. He's not like, let's compromise. Come and believe me part way. That will be enough for me. I'll be satisfied with that. He's God. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. He has no need of you. So we will not accept a fickle faith that, that, that shifts at what he has to say, that, 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 that does not appreciate his commandments or his claims. I was talking to someone just the other day, and uh, they were asking me a question about certain sins uh, in the Bible. And I says, well, that's what Jesus has to say. And this person professed to be a Christian. They says, well, that's not what I have to say. And well, well he, you know what? I choose him. Who are you? And who are you to have Jesus cram himself into your little life and cram himself into your theology and your perspective as if he's satisfied with that? He's come to smash the whole thing and put it back together again. And this is what we're going to see here. And this is what we're seeing unpack. And this is why these religious leaders are getting so angry at him. And sometimes they're like, man, he has some good things to say. And other times he says, oh, by the way, I'm God in the flesh. And they won't accept it. And other times they're like, wow, he, he's a great person. He's doing all these wonderful things. And the next minute he says, and you're slaves, and they can't accept it. 
And if you can't accept the words of Jesus and you can't come to him and what he has to say and who his claims are, you can't be his. He is God and he'll accept nothing less than true faith in who he is. So we see this in verse 48 to verse 51. Uh, Jesus has said to them, I'm of God, you're not of God. You're not of God so you won't hear me. Their response, instead of humbly searching their own hearts, which they've continually failed to do, is to say, we have said that you're a Samaritan and a demon, and we were right in what we said. So that we believed, but before that we're like, man, that guy's a Samaritan and a demon. And saying someone's a Samaritan is a, is a really offensive thing to say uh, back then. It's a very ugly thing uh, to say. It's like saying you're English. It's that bad, you know. Uh, it's really offensive. You know, we live in, 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 um, in Ireland, in Northern Ireland. You know, it gets quite tense over there at times, as you can imagine. And uh, if you say to an Irish person that they're British, like that is the most offensive thing. And in Northern Ireland, some people, if you say that they're Irish, it's like the worst thing. This is way worse. You're a Samaritan and you're a demon. You're unclean. You're unpure. You're not one of us. And you have a demon. In other words, you're insane. You're crazy. They've already said that about him previously. Jesus remains calm. And he just says to them, I don't have a demon. That's not what's happening here. I don't have a, a, a demon. No, I, I've come from God. And look what he offers them once again in verse 51. Just come. Keep my word. You'll never die. Come to me and you'll never die. These people who are come all, calling him Samaritan demon people. These people who have uh, maybe have accused his mother of being uh, promiscuous. And Jesus says, come and you'll never die. And, and, and the response uh, again to this is verse 52 to verse 56. You have a demon. Come and never die. You have a demon. Abraham, they say, Abraham and all the prophets are dead. And you're offering us to never die. Are you greater than Abraham? Are you greater than Moses? Greater than Elijah and Isaiah who have died? And now you're saying to us that you believing in you will mean we'll never die? Who do you think you are? They say to Jesus. In verse 53, who do you make yourself out to be? And Jesus says, I've come from the Father. I'm the one who's been sent. I'm the Messiah. In verse 56, he says, and your father Abraham, I am greater than him. He rejoiced to see my day. And he did see it and he was glad. Abraham believed that there was a promised Messiah coming. Abraham believed that one day the seed of the woman would come and crush the serpent. Abraham believed that through his line, the nations would be blessed. And Jesus says, he saw and he believed. And so, of course, they're not happy with this. And it's verse 57 to verse 59. They say, you're not even 50 years old. And you say you've seen Abraham. And he didn't say that. He didn't say he saw Abraham. He saw Abraham saw me. Right? Little, little twist there. Abraham saw me and rejoiced. And they're like, you say you've seen Abraham? And Jesus says to them, listen, even before Abraham was, I am. Ego me. He's been saying that all throughout John so far. I am. From Exodus, when God spoke to Moses and Moses says, who will I say that you are? And God says, I am that I am. And Jesus says, I've been alive way before Abraham. I was existing. I am God in the flesh. 
And how do they respond to this then? In verse 59, then they took up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them. And so he passed by. John 8 begins with them wanting to stone an adulterous woman, and it ends with them wanting to stone Jesus. So let me just uh, draw this to a close again uh, this morning. Once more, what will it be for us? Will we accept what Jesus says about himself? Will we believe and abide in his word and be free? Or will we take offense at him and refuse to come to him and remain in our unbelief under condemnation and death? And to say it once more, Jesus is not a take-it-or-leave-it option, like a piece of salad on your main meal. They just throw in that lettuce there, and you're like, I could take that or leave that. He's not going to be that. He won't accept being that. He is life, and he is light, and he is freedom, and he is God, and he is king, and he is Lord. And he will not settle with you thinking that he's just another prophet. And he will not accept you thinking that he was a good moral teacher. And he will not embrace being just another religious leader. He will not take the crumbs of you thinking that you can just add him onto your life. If you're not a Christian, true life is found in Jesus. Jesus as Savior. So come and trust in him as Savior. And come and submit to him as Lord. And experience the freedom that he offers. And if you are a Christian, if you profess faith in Jesus Christ, what's the application for us? It's the same. Because true life is found in Jesus, not in whatever else we've moved our hearts and our minds towards. Where we'll take Jesus' words for this part of our lives, but not for this part. That we'll, we'll obey him here, but we won't obey him here. That we'll sing his praises, but we won't obey his commands. Jesus will not accept being another fridge magnet in your life of interests. You don't add them to your collection. So again, if you're a Christian in this room, continue trusting him as Savior. Continue resting in who he is and in his promises. But also, we need to continue to submit to him as Lord. There's still pockets of my life that are not fully submitted to Jesus. Still areas of my life of rebellion, of of not giving him at all. And I, I would love for us this morning to search our hearts and ask Jesus, our God and our Savior, what parts do you not own? What parts have I not fully yielded over to you? What, what, what parts of my life are not yet yours? I mean, they are his like already, but we haven't opened our hands and said, it's yours, Lord. Friend, the, 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 the great urge for the 21st century church is this. He's not just Savior. He is Lord. And it's so easy in, in, our, in our modern evangelicalism to say, thank you, Jesus, for saving me. I'll see you in heaven. Rather than thank you for saving me. Now, to respond to all that you've done, I'm going to yield my life over to you now. We sing hymns, I surrender all, I surrender all. And we lay it all on the altar as we sing it. And as the song ends, we're like, I only, I only meant it for that minute, though, Lord. And we take it all back again. And we walk away with everything we own. I surrender all is the great call of the believer. So come and trust him as Savior. Come and submit to him as Lord. And believer, continue trusting him as Savior. And continue trusting him as Lord. Amen. Let's.